invite you to open up your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We're going to be reading from that passage in just a moment in Titus chapter 1. But as usual, it's good to see everyone out. If you're visiting with us, you're an honored guest. We invite you back whenever you're able. And if we haven't been able to uh, before the service began, please stick around for a few minutes. Let us get to know you and uh, be able to talk to you. Uh, If you're a member here, it's just good to see you once more and be able to sing together, be able to study God's word together a little bit more and try to grow closer together as God's family as we always should be, always should be striving for. As I said, if you want to turn to Titus chapter 1, we're about to read a verse from this passage. But recently, uh, during one of the men's meetings, it was decided that we should have some lessons on elders and shepherds, and particularly uh, just going through the work and the the qualities, the qualifications of a shepherd. And I I think that was a a splendid idea. And so uh, I think we're going to hopefully be looking forward to some lessons on this, but before we get into the work or the qualifications of elders, I think it's prudent and most helpful to begin where we're at. In fact, I think that's always most prudent, to begin the conversation of where we're at. Where do we go from our specific position? Where do we go from our specific situation? In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So just from the very beginning of the study, from the very beginning of the the, the conversation, what we find is that there is the command, there is the expectation that there is going to be elders in every church. In fact, this isn't the only place you see this idea. You see it throughout, all, all throughout Acts, and you see it in other portions of, of the New Testament. But I really do believe we need to ask this question of what are we supposed to do from here? Because I think often there are frequently asked questions about our situation in particular. We don't have elders in this church. And, and I've even heard questions uh, while we've been here. Me and Paige have been here in the past year of, well, in this kind of situation, are we sinning? In our situation without elders, where's the authority for this? Where do we go from here? And so that's the question I want to answer tonight because honestly, I think all of those questions are valid. And frankly, we need to be able to answer them. If we, can't, if we don't have an answer for everything that we do, then we're going to need to stop doing whatever it is we're doing without God's authority. And so we need, as we always stress when we talk to people about the Bible, when we're, during our Bible classes, we're constantly talking about the need to have authority for everything that we do. Now, to answer this question, I think Paul helps us uh, find that answer as you go throughout Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we'll look at in more detail as we go on. And this won't be an indefinite series either. It's just going to be a few lessons, and, and I will just say we're not going to go over all the qualifications in one lesson. I did that once. I think it's, more, <laughs> I think it's a, a better idea to try and break it up a little bit so that way it's not so, so um, overbearing. But, but it's just going to be a few lessons on this topic just to, to remind us of the things that we're supposed to be looking toward, the things that we're supposed to be trying to cultivate in this church. And so what, is this, what, is, what does Paul say about this group in particular in Crete? And, and I think that what you find is that what Paul says here is what is also true about us in the, in the 21st century. Just as the people in Crete, the church in Crete, were supposed to be Uh, looking for men and trying to build men up to become elders, so should we be. That is our goal. And so we're going to just go through three points tonight, and all of these points go together. And and I need to stress from the beginning, don't get ahead of me on these points, because as I said, they build onto one another. They, They go together. And so as we start, 
The reason I say that is because as we begin, when you look at verse 5 of Titus chapter 1, you, you start with a, a more negative notion. And that is, as he talks about this church that needed to set in order what remains, the New King James Version just says what is lacking. And so from the very beginning, what we find is that this church was lacking. Why were they lacking? Because they didn't have elders. They didn't have shepherds. And I know that that's not as, it's not very positive to look at that because I know that we're not in that situation. But we need to see this nonetheless. It, this was something that is needed and something that not only is needed for every church, but it's something that needs to be corrected if it's not there. In fact, there's a couple translations I want to look at. In the Christian Standard Bible, it says, set right what was left undone. The NIV, I don't really like this translation. I think for the most part, there's, there's a lot of things that they, they, they just do a very poor job on. But in this passage, I thought they did a very good job. It says, put in order what was left unfinished. And that is the, the notion that we just read. The New American Standard says, set in order what remains. But this idea is that there is something that it's not yet completed. And if until it is completed, we need to continue working on that. We need to continue pressing toward that goal because it is a goal that Christ said we need, frankly. And, and, and so just, just from the very outset of the conversation, it's something that we have to understand we are lacking if we don't have, and, and we need to be constantly looking forward to try and correct that, make it done, finish that goal. But beyond that, this, when we talk about this word lacking, this isn't lacking something that's trivial, but something that's absolutely critical and necessary. In uh, Luke chapter 18, a very interesting passage to go to, I know, when you're talking about elders, but it's interesting because the same word that's used for lacking is the same word that you find in Luke chapter 18 with the rich young ruler. So in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18, a ruler comes and questions, Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he gives the greatest commandments and, and all these things he says, I've kept from my youth. But when Jesus heard this in verse 22, he said to him, one thing you still lack sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me but when he had heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich so it's the exact same word that you find for set in order what remains what is lacking it's the same word that Jesus uses as he's talking to the rich young ruler now thinking about this there are many things in my life that I can definitely or that I can lack indefinitely there are so many things that we can just go on lacking in our lives, like a better iPhone. It'd be nice to have one, but if I lack it, it's not going to kill me. Uh, we could lack maybe our, our dream car. Paige and I were just uh, uh, talking. We were just with the, Doyle and Melinda the other day, and, and Doyle showed me one of the cars that he's working on. And I'll tell you what, if I ever had a dream car, that'd probably be it. And he's working on it, and, and even he, you, it's, 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 it's sweet to see the excitement that he has as he's going in detail about that, about that car and working on it. I tell you what, I would love to have a car like that someday. But if I lack that forevermore, it's not, it's not going to destroy me. It's not going to devastate me. We could lack a better fridge. You know, one of, those fridge, uh, one of those refrigerators that have, you know, a screen on the door. Honestly, I'm not sure exactly why you <laughs> would want that, but a lot of people do. But, you know, if you don't get it, it's not going to ruin your household. You can make do with what you have. And so there are many things in our lives that we can lack and, and for a long period of time. But this word, I think, is more specifically referring to things that we cannot go on lacking. That, let me, let me uh, just qualify that a little bit more. That we shouldn't be comfortable lacking. And I think that's one of the keys as we go throughout this study. Because as you think about our situation, I'm not saying we're in the exact same boat as the ruler. Because when he went away, he was, he was 
saddened about what Jesus had said. One thing you still lack, sell all of your possessions and follow me. He wasn't willing to do that. And what does that mean about his relationship with God? What does that mean about his salvation? Now even here, and we're going to make this point as we go along, I don't think we're in the same boat as the ruler, but we should not be comfortable either, just like he shouldn't have been comfortable. That's the main point I want to make from that passage. We shouldn't look at our situation and say, well, this is okay. It's not necessarily okay. It, it doesn't mean that we're just downright sinners, but it doesn't mean that we are in, in, in a good place that we, that we can just stay complacent in. And we're going to continue to make that point as we go on. Now, when you think about what they're lacking, what, what exactly are they lacking? What's hindering this congregation with, when they don't have elders? Well, I think there are several things that we could go through. All throughout the Bible, it talks about how they are to have oversight over the church. There's leadership over a local congregation. And Frank, and I put examples to follow. When you have men that have completed those qualities in their lives, this is, and this is something I'll come back to in a future study over, over the eldership. But one thing that I think people misunderstand about these qualifications, they are qualifications, but Maybe just as important, and maybe even more so, they are a character. What God is saying is the only person that can have this role, the only person that can serve in this role is someone who has these things already down. Not someone who, you know what, he'll learn how to teach or he'll learn how to be patient once he becomes an elder. <laughs> no, he's got to have that down. And so what we're seeing is by elders and deacons is these are men who are not still trying to get to that point. They have made it their goal already to get there. That's why they have these qualities. And therefore, when they have these qualities, they will be qualified to uh, serve in that capacity, serve as an elder. And so that's what I mean by examples to follow. When we don't have men that, that and it's not to say we don't have any good examples, but we're looking for, for that, that an, even, uh, an even more comprehensive role of servitude in the congregation that we're lacking. We're lacking God-ordained organization that he intends for a local church. Now, th th this is not to say that there are no good factors about a congregation that doesn't have elders, but it is to say that it's not complete. Something has been left unfinished. And so I understand that this is a bit harder to start with. I don't mean to bring us down. I want to kind of bring us back up because just because they were lacking, I, I don't think that that automatically means that they were sinning. And in fact, you see that, I think, just in... Paul's language in Titus chapter 1. Just from the very, uh, when, when, you, when he starts and he gives those qualifications, he doesn't say, you need to rebuke them because they are in sin. He doesn't say that. What he says is they're lacking and it's something that needs to continue to be focused upon. And so uh, I just want to make this case as we go throughout the next couple of minutes. It, it, just because they are lacking, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're sinning. It can, and we'll end with that. But it doesn't automatically mean that. There are times where a situation is not ideal and yet not sinful. So let's turn over to Luke chapter 10, just a few pages over. Luke chapter 10, in verse 38. This is a very, I think a very interesting passage. Luke chapter 10, in verse 38. This is a story of Martha and Mary with Jesus. It says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him, welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, just take, pause with me. Take a moment and think about what we just read. What Martha's doing, serving, is that an unchristian thing to do? 
all of her preparations. Is that a sinful thing? No, I'd be hard-pressed to, to, to try and prove that what she was doing was sinning. That's, and that's not even what Jesus says. What he does say, though, is you're distracted from the better part of this. You're distracted from the good thing that Mary has chosen. What Martha wanted was to have the same glorification, not having made the better choice. And so she wasn't sinning, but she didn't choose the good part either. And you can't have it both ways. You can't, say, you can't, uh, you can't have the same glorification without choosing the good part. If you want that kind of glorification that Mary got, well, then what Martha's going to have to do is get rid of the distractions and start just listening to Jesus. And so I think that's a pretty good example, at the very least, of, of someone who is not necessarily rebuked, but definitely admonished by Jesus, by the Lord, to say, there are better things that you should be busy about, and you've chosen not the better things. Uh, and so it's, it's not automatically sinful, but it automatically means that something needs to be corrected. Something needs to be set right, as we talked about earlier. Over in Acts chapter 18, I think you see just another example of this. Acts chapter 18, we see a very eloquent man, Apollos. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24. <clears throat> Acts 18 and verse 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And that's before he gets sent off to continue on preaching. Now, what is described here? Did, did Priscilla and Aquila, did they have to take him aside and just berate him? Did they publicly make a big spectacle about this? No. And, and why was that? Because he hadn't sinned necessarily. Something needed to be corrected. And he needed to, to uh, adjust his, or learn more, so that way he could more accurately preach Jesus. But he hadn't sinned. He, ju he just needed to be corrected. And so, once more, there are, there are situations that aren't necessarily ideal, but it doesn't mean they're automatically sinful. It just means that we shouldn't be comfortable staying in that position. And I would just add, if, if Apollos continued preaching the way he had after the correction, what do you think about his relationship with God then? Well, that, that's a different conversation, because now he's just continuing to preach that. But at the time, he didn't know any better. And after being corrected, he makes that correction, and he starts preaching Christ even more eloquently, even more accurately. Now, you see on the screen before you Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. I would allude you back to Titus chapter 1. When you look at the language that Paul uses, I think this is, this is how he's describing the situation in Crete. You are lacking. They're not sinning, but you need to remember that this is something you need to constantly be thinking about and constantly be working toward. Paul knew this was a reality. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says that they went through all the churches to appoint elders. And on the third missionary journey, he went back just to try and encourage and strengthen the brethren. And so this was something that, that after he had created Christians, I would just say it takes time. It's not like he, he, he plants a church somewhere, Christians are cultivated, and then he immediately puts men in. This is something that takes time. So on the second missionary journey, that's when he goes through and they appoint elders. After there's been some more knowledge, there's more of a knowledge base to build on. And in fact, they go and they continue to build on that knowledge base before appointing elders. 
So, so we start with that idea. And, and I would just say, I, I, I think that there are even, not just unideal situations, there are even sinful situations where I think God gives us provision for us to maintain innocence. Now, again, don't get ahead of me, because what I'm not saying is we can sin and still be considered innocent. What I'm saying is there are moments where other people make decisions that are sinful. And unfortunately, we are very affiliated with those people. But just because we are so close, we have that close relationship like a spouse in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that does not mean that we're going to be held accountable or guilty for their decision. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because I think this is a very good example of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 12. Paul says, but to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a, uh, a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And just to get a little bit more context, let's continue on in verse 17. Only, only as the Lord has assigned to each one as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it, but if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Now, I know it's a bit of a lengthy reading, but I think when you read verses 12 through 16, it's helpful to get a little bit more of the context to understand what exactly Paul is saying. In verse 15, he, he uses language of being bound to another. And he says, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases. Now, when, when we read that, is God saying, you can just throw everything that I've previously, previously said about marriage away? You can just throw everything that I said about divorce out the window. You don't, have to, you don't even have to think about that anymore. Is that what God is saying? No, of course not. We still need to remember what consequences come from unscriptural divorce. But what Paul is trying to indicate here is if your spouse leaves you wrongfully and sinfully, that's their decision. You're not going to be held accountable for their sins. That does not mean that the earthly consequences are taken away. That does not mean just because they're the ones that sin that you get to. You may have to live a little bit more difficult life. If, you're, if your spouse leaves you and, and unscripturally, you don't just get to marry whoever you want after that. You're still going to have to live that life of celibacy. But that does not mean that because there's that separation that shouldn't be there, that God is going to hold you accountable, at least automatically. And, and so while... I think the best way to describe it is, is, is this. While their earthly situation has been devastated, their relationship with God has not been. There are many things, there are many wrong decisions that human beings can make. But as long as we have made the right decision, as long as we have not involved ourselves in the sinful decision, then God won't hold us accountable for other people's wrongdoings. 
So in hard situations like this, we can still be in a right relationship with God. But as I was just indicating, the question is, what is my involvement in that situation? How have I, how have I uh, added to it? Am I responsible, first of all? Am I the one that has committed the sin? Have I done everything I can to reconcile after the, sin's been, uh, after the sin's been committed, whether by me or someone else? Have I done my part? That's the main question we need to ask. And, you know, you think about a passage like Matthew 5 and verses 23 through 27. Jesus says that if you know that a brother has something against you, you leave your gift at the altar. Before you even give your sacrifice, before you worship, you make sure that everything is good between you and your brother. Now, with that being the commandment, let's say I go and I try to make things right. I go to the brother and I try to make sure that, that they understand that I'm sorry for whatever I've done to them. Let's say I've done that, but they refuse to reconcile. What then? If my brother is not willing to forgive me, does that mean that God is going to hold me accountable because this brother's just, he's just not willing to let anything go? No, I've done my part. And so now it's on them. Now, I want more than anything for there to be reconciliation, for there to be forgiveness. But if they're not willing to let that go, that's, that's not gonna, God's not going to hold me accountable for that wrong decision. He knows who are his. He knows who are faithful. And so, again, the question comes down to, have I done what I can? And often I think a lot of times when we find ourselves in these kind of hard situations, hard situations it's either I'm the one that has committed the sin or... Maybe I've helped it by not acting the way I should altogether. Or maybe I haven't done my part of trying to get to that reconciliation. And so as we're trying to look in these situations, we have, to, we have to ask these questions honestly to make sure that I actually am innocent. Because I could just be tricking myself. Now, we look at our current situation. We don't have any elders. We know that we need to. And we understand this is, this is a problem that we need to be focusing on and working on. Does this automatically mean that we're in sin? I think I can confidently say no. And there's a, there's a brother, I think it was Brother Patton, who had coined the term, we're, we're trying to get to a scripturally organized church, but right now we're in a scripturally unorganized church. We're not to that ideal yet. We're not to the way that God fully intended yet. It's not yet completed, but we're working towards it. Or maybe that's the question we need to ask, are we? Because I think that is the determining factor of whether or not we are uh, culpable of some responsibility or not. And so, does this automatically mean we're in sin? No. But it does automatically mean that something is in need of building. So though we may lack in some areas, just to recap, that doesn't mean we're necessarily sinning. But it can easily become sinful. (laughs) Now we kind of come back down. And this is just building off of what we were just talking about. And I think that there are a few ways that we can do this. How can it become sinful? We're in a situation like Crete in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5 where we're lacking something that we need. And we can maintain that innocence, but it only will be maintained if we're doing what we can. Now, how does it become sinful in our kind of situation? Well, one of the first ways, I think, is just by disregarding or forgetting the responsibility altogether. So when we talk about this or this is brought up once more, someone might say, we, honestly, I don't see any problem with this. We can just continue on like this. Well, you think about Luke chapter 18. What if the rich young ruler had said that? Well, he did kind of say that by his actions. I, honestly, I'm not ready to let that go. I'm not ready to let all my riches go. I'm not ready to let all my comfort go in this, on this earthly plane. And so I'm just going to have to walk away. 
What, what was his situation with God? He's walked away a sinner. And so we don't just get to neglect. Once we find out what the scriptures teach, we've got to start working towards that. We don't just get to walk away and act like that wasn't said. It may be an uncomfortable situation that we have to say, this is where we're at. I know it's uncomfortable. But if we're not willing to say that, we're going to walk away just like the rich young ruler. Someone may say, why do we have to keep talking about this? Because, because no matter what you're talking about, you don't get to drop what, whatever God has said in his scriptures just because you're annoyed or because you're tired. I understand this is tiresome. I'm sure people get tired of me preaching about authority. But guess what? It's something that you can't ever stop preaching. And in fact, I would suggest that even when, even when elders are appointed, it's something that should never stop being preached. Because we're not just trying to get a couple men ready. We're trying, to, we're trying to focus on everyone, building everyone up to look the way that God wants them to look, like that standard. And so it's not something that we just get to drop just because we're annoyed or tired. Maybe someone, uh, when, when approaching this kind of topic, says, what's just in a despondent and defeated way? What's the use? We've tried this before. We've done this so many times. Would you say that about your unsaved relatives? Would you say that about your child that was not yet a Christian? Uh, we've, listen, we've tried it before and I just, I, just, I just can't, I don't think I can take any more heartache. Now, I, it would be heartbreaking to know that your child is not right with the Lord. But I tell you what, I think I'd be all the more inspired and motivated to continue talking about that, not just drop it. Because I'm not willing to let them go on that way. And that's the way we should look at this kind of situation. It may be that, that nothing's happened precisely, but maybe that's because of our shameful defeatist attitude. Do, have, are we just, have we just become despondent or are we trying to continue to build ourselves up? Well, that's one way that we can make this situation sinful, that it becomes sinful by just neglecting the responsibility altogether. I tell you, and this is something that I think we can't be stressed enough, it's by fixing the issue through unscriptural means. So we see we need to be scripturally organized. We need to have elders. We need to have elders, just like it says, in every church in the New Testament. And so what do we do? We just, we just pick out a couple men, don't even think about the qualifications. We don't have any discussion, no consideration about the qualifications. We just push men in. That's not the way to do it. And, and I know that sometimes people kind of, I know sometimes people kind of mock that cautious side of saying, you know, and I've said this before, it, 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 we are lacking when you don't have elders. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's a worse situation when you have men that are not qualified to lead in that capacity and they're trying to. And, and I understand people mock that kind of cautious attitude, but frankly, I don't care. Because we, we, you need to be cautious about this. Because God, as he's going through his qualifications, especially when you get to those qualifications, talking about the, uh, how, what kind of husband and kind of father the man is, that becomes an important quality because if he can't manage his own household, how is he supposed to lead the church of God? That's important to be in place. Because if he's made a wreck of his home, what do you think is going to happen here? And so we, we can't just appoint unqualified men just to fill what was lacking. Because let me tell you something, if we do, it's still lacking. Just because we say, hey, there's men that have filled that role, God knows they're not shepherds. And so we can't just come in like that, just, just with no consideration whatsoever, and just try to fix it really quickly. Or maybe try to just bring men in that, are, that have been acting like elders, but they're not. We, we have to be careful about what we do here. 
Because you can very easily put in a diatrophies that does not belong, that has none of the qualities of a shepherd. It's a lot easier to put him into that position, a lot harder to take him out when need be, if need be. And so we need to be careful about how we approach this kind of topic, this kind of conversation. We, and, and so that, that, that is, I think, a very stark warning all throughout the New Testament. You just look at all the times Paul will talk to just the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Be careful because there will be men that even come among you talking to the elders that are wolves in sheep's clothing. So we need to be careful that we're not trying to fix it through unscriptural means. Finally, we need to make sure that we're not becoming complacent. Because when we become complacent, that is a way that this can become sinful. Now, what does this look like in a congregation? I'll tell you, the number one way that we become complacent is by not being proactive. The number one way that we are complacent is by just not trying to build men up. So, so sometimes you have, you have situations where people just kind of, we, you talk about it and then we sit around for, a, you know, however long a time and we're not discussing it during that time, we're not considering it during that time and then we expect, you know, however long later that men are just going to pop up. You can't talk about it. Don't think that this one series is just going to be able to fix every problem. <laughs> I mean, don't think that just one lesson, one sermon can fix every problem. Just like Paul, his example, this is something that will take time. Now, we may be in the position where we have men that are qualified. We have to talk about that. But, but, but don't think that we can just sit around idly, not talking about it or considering it, not trying to constantly teach about this, and then expect for people to just all of a sudden be ready. So many times people will wait years and ask the question once more, do we have men that are elders? The seed's never even been planted they're expecting to have this vast harvest when we've never even planted the seed. Now, Paul was actively trying to prepare men to become elders. I think this is one way how you prepare the seed. People just, I think sometimes people say, there's nothing that we can do. What are you talking about? There's so many things that we can do. One, it's work on my attitude. Because I'll tell you one thing, one of the best ways that we can help brethren grow to the point to become elders, to become shepherds, is by encouraging them. And by helping them, serving them. And so the first thing that we can do is just work on my attitude. The other things I think are very, I think are self-explanatory. It just makes me laugh when people say there's nothing we can do. There are all kinds of things. We could have a monthly men's study. In fact, we started that not too long ago. But we could have a monthly men's study specifically focused on leadership, specifically focused on the eldership and what that looks like. And continuously thinking about these things. You could, we could bring men in, experienced men in that have had this role for some time. And in fact, Bill Allison's going to be coming not too long from now and he's going to be teaching on the topic. And so you can bring men in that have gone, that have the experiences that God says they need to, that have those qualities, that have had those qualities in the past, and they could help us teach on the subject on a regular basis. There are so many different things that we can do to start preparing. But the problem is we need to start preparing now. And that isn't just collectively, but individually. Prove, prove yourself to have these kinds of qualities. Be focused on trying to build that patience if it's not already there. Build that, that characteristic of being apt to teach if it's not already there. And, and talk about this more, but I, I, I think that sometimes people say, well, these are just, these are just characteristics the elders are supposed to have. I don't have to worry about this at all. 
In fact, in, in one of the Bible classes recently, we, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, where it talks about how the servant of God is supposed to act and how they're supposed to teach gentleness and with self-control. Aren't, aren't those two qualifications for an elder? So it's not just an elder that needs to be focused on those things. All of us should be striving to grow more in, the, in, this, in these kind of qualities. But regardless, we need to be helping each other to get there. And so how do I do this individually? How do I do this myself? How do I grow to try and get to this point? How do I grow myself to help others get to that point? Well, one way that we, I would say, don't do this is by taking the reins like you're an elder. We can be an example without trying to fill the role when God says we're not ready. Sometimes people say, well, you, I can't show le any leadership skills until I've actually become an elder. <laughs> That's not true. I tell you what, one of the ways that I kind of view, uh, one of the ways that I kind of try to test and evaluate, rather, men is when we have those men's meetings. And I know those men's meetings are hard. Don't get me wrong. I know that sometimes they're, they're a little bit toilsome. But that's when I do some of my, my best examinations of men because when, we, when a situation comes up, when a problem comes up, and I see that one man, how he answers is with much patience, with, with much self-control and he's giving brethren the benefit of the doubt I tell you that's a man that I think he's got potential but then when you hear another man just just blow up and have no patience with brethren I tell you what I look at that man I say he is a long way off and so be an example you don't have to be an elder to lead you can show leadership in your example and, and, and leadership is not just driving people you know like, like a barking dog from behind it's, it's being a leader. It's, it's showing people by example how, how to move forward and, and how, what kind of Christian we're supposed to be by following after the steps of Jesus ultimately. And so are we thinking about it in these kinds of terms? Are we being proactive? Are we trying to make sure that we fill this role, fill what is lacking in a scriptural way? Are we just neglecting it altogether or are we constantly considering it? Are we being active in this or are we just being idle, expecting men to be ready someday? Because I'll tell you, they never will be. We never will be if we're not considering it. And so, again, we didn't really get into the work of the qualifications. That, that comes in, in the next few weeks. But just understand from the beginning that we, while lacking, we can still have a right relationship with God. It comes back to what we were talking about earlier. What has my involvement been? And when you think about our relationship with God on an individual level, bring it down to that gospel invitation. What has my involvement been when it comes to my salvation? Well, I'll tell you what my involvement, involvement has been. I've sinned and I've transgressed the law of God. And so there's really no excuse there. So what do I need to do? I need to look to the scriptures and I need to try not fix it my way, fix it God's way. And that's only through the gospel. That's only through the word that he has given to us. All of it, I know I've said this before, and I'll say it again, but everything boils down to authority. Are you willing to subject yourself to the authority of God, to the authority of Christ? What that looks like is you're going to do everything that he requires of you, collectively as a church and individually. So are you willing to hear everything that he has to say? Are you willing to be faithful in those things and start acting on them if you have not? Repent of the things that he says to do away with. Repent of the things that he says can't continue. Make a confession based on that belief, on that faith. 
and be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life. You can have salvation this very night if you are willing to subject yourself to him. So if you are subject to the invitation of Christ, please come forward. Let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.